Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm sitting down in the office. We got the headsets on. Amanda's with me. We have a very special guest today. We are have uh, Sean Kitzman on the phone from Minnesota. My man is a licensed massage therapist. He's also a coach and mentor. You know what? I'm going to let Amanda give you a little bit of background on uh, what Sean's got going on. He's a real cool guy, man. I've been seeing some of the stuff he's doing on social media, and I'm addicted. I'm absolutely addicted, <laughs> especially the stuff you do from your car. I don't know. I, I totally <laughs> dig that stuff. All right. Hi, everyone. It's Amanda. Uh, yeah, as Mark said, we're uh, we're on the phone with a licensed massage therapist uh, from the States again. We love talking to our friends south of the border. Sean has been a therapist since 2000, and... Um, I uh, was in a partnership with somebody from 2003 to 2008 where he had a practice and uh, now he owns his own practice and he's in Minnesota, originally from Michigan. And he began um, coaching other therapists as a business in 2016. So uh, this is something that, as Mark said, he's become addicted to. I am here actually to learn. I haven't seen as much from Sean as Mark has. So I'm interested in learning about what he does and also about why coaching, why getting into the business of coaching is interesting for so many therapists. Uh, so hi, Sean. Thank you for talking with us on the phone today. Well, I want to thank both of you for having me on. I've, I've watched you guys for probably about as long as you've watched me. So um, when I really started on Instagram, uh, you know, posting content about coaching, I was going through, you know, the hashtags and I saw your guys' content come up and I'm like, man, this is really cool. And, you know, being from Michigan, actually... I, we're kind of almost, you know, we're uh, uh, neighbors anyways. Yeah, it's you're not far. Minnesota, almost Canadian. Eh? Yeah, yeah, you know? you're not far. <laughs> I mean, we don't say sorry and about and all that stuff, but, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty close. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it, it was pretty cool watching, you know, your guys' platform grow. And, and the thing that I really love about what you guys do is that it's so important to, to build a community and build a network and build a group of people that are passionate about helping each other grow their practices because that is so unheard of, unfortunately, in our industry. It's getting better now. But man, when I when I first started practicing in two thousand, it was like, you know, it was pretty cutthroat. Mm-hmm. So it's it's awesome that you guys are, are are building this this platform. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think that uh, we need to be in competition with each other. We are all we're all working towards the same goal. So if we can help each other, I think I'm answering the you know the question that I was going to ask you is why you would get into coaching. But <laughs> um, yeah. I I want to hear a little bit of the backstory on you. Like you know, I I I did the the point form. Uh, what is it called? Like Cole's notes yeah. version of it. <laughs> but why don't sure, you sure. tell everybody sort of how you got into the industry and you know what you've been doing for the last eighteen years? Yeah. So um, my story goes way back. And so so one of the things that I do in my coaching practice that I think is really important. And and Mark will. This is this might be an unpopular topic for me to talk about for a second, but I'll, I'll get to a reason why Mark will understand this better than, um, a lot of people, because as a male therapist, when people come in to see me, my backstory needs to be on point. Now, remember I'm 42 and I started practicing 18 years ago. So I was 24 when I started practicing and I started practicing in a, in a very conservative community in Michigan of about 7,000 people. So it wasn't like a big, big, big city that, you know, where I could kind of hide. And there were only like one or two guys in the, in the, uh, uh, in the area that were working. So my backstory really had to be on point. Um, and so I, de- I've developed it. So what you hear me talk about is stuff that I actually talk about with most of my clients. Um, so, uh, back when I was a kid, I had this really eccentric uncle, um, my uncle Jim, who lives in Connecticut. And when I was a kid, he would come for a week. My grandparents had a cottage not very far from where our house was, and it was kind of like a family cottage, and he would come and uh, bring his kids, and we would spend, uh, you know, they would spend a week in Michigan with us. And my uncle Jim was into yoga and Tai Chi. He was getting rolfed in the early 80s. Um, so my my introduction to body work was not necessarily um, kind of luxury relaxation-based. Like, my uncle would tell me, like, you know, this thing here, this rolfer that I have, I didn't know what the heck rolfing was, <laughs> but this rolfer that I have 
you know, it's helping me play handball. It's helping me mountain bike. It's helping me hike. So I, I, I got this idea of, of massage therapy now as um, not so much of this luxury item, but this thing that, that helped my uncle do his do the things that he really liked to do. And then my dad, right around the same time, um, injured his low back. And probably now, if I look back at it, he probably had a pretty weak psoas that spasms and kind of locked him down and then would lock down everything else now that I kind of understand the body. Now you can put the puzzle together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. And so, um, but you know, he would go to a chiropractor and he would, he would see, you know, he went to PT and PT didn't really work. Um, he went to a chiropractor and the chiropractor kind of helped him out a little bit, but when, you know, by the time he would get in the truck, um, and then drive back to the house, cause I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Michigan. Um, the road I lived on was dirt. It'll always be dirt. It's still dirt. There's still a bunch of farms around. So by the time he would get back home 20, 25 minutes later, he'd be locked up again. And what we found was ice you know, uh, put, putting uh, uh, water in a Dixie cup and putting it in the freezer and then doing like ice massages and then some really rudimentary crappy massages would get him relief quicker than if he would just take, you know, whatever over-the-counter pain reliever. Um, and so that was like kind of, again, my, and my dad's a really physically affectionate person. When, when my brother and I were kids, Sunday morning would be go jump in dad, go jump on dad. Well, after my mom got out of bed, we would wrestle a bit, a bit. And then when my, when we would get too rowdy, my dad would give us back massages to kind of calm us down. So, so touch wasn't in, in, in male touch wasn't a weird thing for me. Right. Um, now I, re, now I realize as a, you know, as I've gotten older and I watched some of my, we, uh, my wife and I have a, a 12 year old, almost 13 year old son. As, as I watched some of my, my son's friends that are guys or boys, and I watched their relationships with their dads. I recognized like how how cool that relationship with my dad is. Because if my dad walked in the room today and you were there, I would still go up and give my dad a hug and a kiss. Um, and and if my brother walked in the room, I would give my brother a hug and a kiss. Like that's just the way it goes in my family. So um, so we're very you know touching isn't like a wasn't a weird thing to us. Um, and so, um, you know, after I got out, of, well, after I got out of high school, um, I didn't really know where I was going to go. So this is 94, my mom was trying to talk me into going to uh, physical therapy school or, you know, going to college to be a physical therapist. And I'm like, mom, I got my GED in high school. There's no way I could sit through four or six or eight years of, you know, of college. Like I just, it just wasn't my bag. Um, in 95, I started training martial arts, um, I started training Jeet Kune Do in the Filipino martial arts. Jeet Kune Do is the, uh, the art that Bruce Lee developed. Um, one of my instructors uh, was Bruce Lee's best friend. Oh, right on. And when I was in a, I was in a seminar, uh, a martial arts seminar, May of 97, I remember exactly where I was. I, I could actually, if we were in the location, I could tell you where I was sitting at the time. It's one of those <laughs> things, you know. Um, and and uh, Gurdan said, um, you know, if you guys really want to understand this, uh, you should really look at the healing arts as well. And he was first generation Filipino American and the Filipinos, um, in a lot of cults, in a lot of areas have a pretty strong healing culture as well. And so, um, so I thought, you know, that's a really good idea because I was already looking into massage therapy schools. Um, but I just hadn't pulled the trigger. I was doing, I was working grocery retail at the time. And I thought, you know, if I ever get crabby, I'll go to massage school. Cause I don't want to be crabby. Like that was the one thing that I absolutely did not want to do. You know, I, I, I'd watched other people. Um, I'd watched my dad, my dad was a tool and die maker. Um, and I watched how, how unhappy he was with his job at the shop. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I don't want to do that. And so, um, <laughs> you know, that was May of 97 in September of 97. Uh, I enrolled in massage school. Um, and so it took me, you know, what, about four or five months to get crabby. And, um, then when I got out of school, there wasn't like, you know, I think the industry today is way easier to get into practice. Um, because, you know, as much as people hate on the franchises and, and the chiropractors and the, you know, in the bigger massage offices, um, there's still portal of entries into the industry that I didn't have. Like there was no way there was maybe four massage therapists in, in the town that I was in at the time. And, um, you know, and so the, the public's generalist acceptance of, the industry hadn't reached where it is today. And again, you know, part of the reason for that, that is because of, you know, the franchises, um, you know, it's made it acceptable to, to, and, and people don't necessarily look at massage so much as a luxury any longer. They see it as a viable, you know, um, uh, method of healthcare. 
it's it's so, getting there. Yeah. Well, but I mean, let's look at it was where it was eighteen years ago. I mean, like you know, and and by the way, I don't know that we want it to be like I. I personally, I don't want it to be like PT. I, my wife is a nurse midwife, nurse practitioner. Like um, at least here in the states. So you know, I mean, obviously, the big difference between. Uh, Canada and the States is that, um, you know, most of the people that come to see us are cash based and there's no, there's no healthcare that kind of covers that thing. You can, you know, with HSA or health savings account or flex spending accounts through their employer, you know, they can do some of that. And then depending on if people want to really jump into the insurance game, which to me is, is a racket on this end. Um, you know, like, like if you look at where it is though, I mean, people are way more accepting of it today. I mean, I remember when I first started practicing back 18 years ago, you know, the, th- the three things that people told me, um, were, uh, don't touch me. Um, cause you're kind of weird. Um, you know, Oh, massage, that's cool. Um, or, you know, like, yeah, that might work, but does it really work? Right. And people now have this acceptance of, of massage as a viable, um, alternative to PT. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I love that the PT industry is, is in, in the state that it's in because I have people coming to me all the time that go, yeah, I went to my PT and it didn't work. So now I'm here. Um, so, so, um, so yeah, so there wasn't a good avenue for me to get into practice. Um, and then in 2000, um, I was mowing lawns. So I went from, I, I went from, uh, grocery retail, um, went to school, Went back to grocery retail, hated it even more than I hated it before because now I'm looking at it and going like, oh my gosh, right? I shouldn't be doing this. Um, you know, if, uh, if, you, if you look at like the hero's journey and you kind of use the hero's journey as an overlay or as a kind of a metaphor or an analogy for starting a practice or, or kind of life itself, you know, I kind of crossed the threshold and now like... I knew that I didn't want to be here, but it was easy to go back there. So I went back there, but I was really unhappy there. So I got out of that. And then I mowed lawns for three seasons, um, which by the way, was, was worse than grocery retail. Um, and I, uh, I saw a, um, an ad, uh, in the local paper, you know, that's how old I am. You looked in the local paper for stuff. Um, and there was an ad for a, a chiropractor that who, who was looking for a massage therapist. And so I called him. Um, I called him that day. It was August of 2000. Um, and he, he had me come in and do an interview massage and I worked for him for nine months. And then I, uh, I, I had a mentor or I apprenticed with a lady for three years. Um, and she was, uh, so, so I've always been interested in working with athletes. That's been, that's been what I want to do. Um, it's what I wanted to do in school. Actually in school, what I wanted to do was, uh, cause my uncle talked about role thing. Then he talked about Shiatsu and the idea of Shiatsu kind of was interesting to me. And then of course with the Asian martial arts flair, you know, that was kind of a, an interesting thing as well. Um, so my, uh, so I wanted to do Shiatsu and I wanted to work on athletes. And that's all I like. That's, that was the, the extent of my, my grand vision. Um, and so, uh, the lady I apprenticed with, she actually was, uh, privately contracted by about four or five, uh, Detroit lions, offensive and defensive linemen. Oh, cool. And so that was really intriguing to me to work with her. And so I learned a ton from her about working with athletes and, you know, um, how to talk to athletes and how to handle them. Um, and then being an athlete myself, you know, I kind of understood it. Um, and then, um, so I worked for her for, for 2000 to 2003, um, from 2001 to 2003, she had a holistic wellness center. Um, so we did supplementation and jumped off the bridge of sanity and, you know, emotional releases and all that crazy stuff as well. Um, in 2003, I was just like, well, the, the way that the practice, her practice was going was not really the way that I was looking to go in my career. Um, and so, uh, my then, uh, girlfriend at the time, um, and then she, but we later got married, we split from that practice and opened up our own practice. Um, uh, an interesting part of that time in Michigan was, so, you know, around 2008, the, the economy really collapsed here in the States. Um, but in Michigan, it was, it was earlier. So we started to see like the housing market start to really take a dip, um, around 2004, 2005. And then the auto industry got into, you know, it's had its problems. And then when the auto industry and the housing market, <coughs> market collapsed, 
um, man, that just killed our economy. I mean, we had, you know, at one point in time, like 14% uh, unemployment and that's out of Detroit. I mean, that's like, that's for the state. Um, so, you know, when we first started our practice, it wasn't necessarily the best time to start a practice because, you know, like everybody was really starting to struggle financially. And so, um, we worked together from, uh, 2003 to 2008 um, we separated and divorced and then, um, you know, we split our practices up. And then in 2008, during that time, uh, 2007 was pretty much a wash for me professionally because I was, you know, kind of trying to figure my own stuff out. I'm here. I am 31 years old going through a divorce, splitting my business. Um, we had finally gotten our business to stable. So when people talk about, you know, it's funny, you know, people talk about, uh, uh, really struggling as a massage therapist. And, um, and then I asked them certain things, you know, well, do you have a cell phone? Do you have a car? Do you go on vacations? Uh, do you have cable TV? Well, if you have any of those things, that was way better than what I had for the first four or five years I was in practice. Um, you know, struggle was not, you know, I mean, struggle was a regular thing for me. I'm, and when I say struggle, I'm talking like addiction notices on the door every month, you know, wondering what, whether or not we're going to make rent. I mean, it was just, it was just a struggle. So right as we were, when we separated in 2007, um, you know, we had finally built our practice set up, up enough to, and which is kind of the trend, you know, we had been in practice for four years. We had finally kind of gotten a stable enough clientele base again. Um, and then, you know, when, when we separated and, and we're going to split the practice up, you know, it was like, oh my God, man, like now, not only do I have to start all over again, because, um, emotionally I was about as, you know, worth about as much as baked potatoes. Um, I'm also losing half my income and, you know, now I've got to kind of figure this out on my own and I have to go out and find a, sp- a place of my own now to work out of. And now, you know, instead of carrying like a four, you know, $400 a month, I got to cover like five or $600 a month in rent. And we don't have any money, you know, rent office rent, when you don't have any money, that's a lot of money. But what I decided that I was going to do is I was, I was not going to just, because uh, the time that I was with my ex-wife, um, our goal was to give the best possible massage that we could. And we didn't want to separate it out because we actually entertained the idea of actually having people come work for us. And so the thing that I saw that hurt people a lot was, um, you know, uh, having too much specialization in a practice because then, you know, people, it's really hard for people to build individual brands especially at that time, because you didn't have any social media. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the social media that you had was MySpace and early Facebook. So nobody was using it for business per se. Right. Um, so, um, so what we did was, uh, so anyways, when, when we split, I, I decided that, you know, I looked at, man, I, I just was not interested in working with, you know, um, clients who were, who were just looking for basic massage and who didn't really care about their own care. Um, and, and I, I had actually gotten to the point where I was almost going to get out of the industry altogether. I mean, the, the divorce and the separation of our practice was just about enough for me to get out of the industry. But I had a, you know, here's another one of these fateful things, right? So um, in September of 2007, I had a referral come in. Um, this mom calls me and she says, you know, my son is this high-level soccer player, um, youth-level soccer player. He has a bad back. Um, he's 14 years old. Um, I heard from, I heard about you from my friend. Can we get in to see you? Well, I had like, you know, four and a half clients a week. I didn't have much. I'm like, well, yeah, I can get you in. Cool. I mean, that's not hard. Let's just shuffle the deck. I mean, so I had her come in and, um, and I was like, well, yeah, I don't care. Just bring your kid in. Cause every mom thinks her kid's great. Right. Yeah. Well, he walks in the door and I look at him and I was like, Oh, this kid's legit. Now, from being around the martial artists that I've been around, and again, when it, you know, like when I talk about, you know, my one of my instructors was Bruce Lee's best friend. So the 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 group of people that I've hung around with. Now, my jiu-jitsu instructor here in Minnesota um, was Brock Lesnar and Sean Shirk's uh, coach. So he's had multiple UFC champions. Right. Um, I mean, so like we, uh, I'm around really high level athletes all the time. So after a while, you just get a nose for him, right? And as soon as Taylor walked in the door, I was like, dang, this kid is really good. Mm-hmm. And so I worked, I worked with him for a bit, and, I, and I, was, I was looking to move, actually. I was looking to move to California to train some martial arts. And, um, but then I kind of realized, you know, I'm 31 years old. At some point in time, I have to be an adult because um, I don't like California. I just wanted to go train. And so I looked at uh, my, my ex-wife at the time because um, we were still sharing practice, and, 
uh, after about the third or fourth session, I looked at her and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this kid. If I move, I don't know where I would send him. I don't know who I would refer him to because there's nobody here in town that can give him what he needs, which is what I'm giving him. And so Taylor was a, was a piece of why I, I, I kept in the industry. And, um, his mom said to me about the third or fourth session, cause he played on a national, uh, competitive, uh, elite level travel team. Right. <laughs> and she, she said, well, it'd be really cool if you could travel with the boys. And in my head, I'm thinking like, I'm divorced. I got nothing else to do. Like if I could travel with them, that would be cool. And I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Whatever. You know, but I didn't really think much of it. And so, um, so I built up a relationship with him. I, I got him back to playing again, you know, um, and, uh, kind of took him on as a, as a, you know, as a mentor for him as well, like teaching him how to, what is going on with his body and, and all the rest of those things. And, uh, so that was September of 07. Um, that next, that next season, I started traveling with the boys to all their national level tournaments. So I traveled with a nationally competitive boys soccer team for three seasons. Um, and I worked with them before, during, and after games. And in that time frame, um, I really decided that I wanted to work with athletes. And, and so Taylor gave me a great avenue because when I would go watch his high school games, I had to take my planner with me because as soon as I sat down and sat down with his mom and people came over to talk to his mom, they, Karen would be like, oh, this is Taylor's, this was Taylor's guy. So if, you know, if people are listening out there and they're trying to figure out whether or not they're, uh, uh, their clients are, you know, are, are really engaged in what you do is, um, if, if you get a referral from someone and someone says, Oh, I talked to so-and-so and they said I had to talk to their guy or their, their woman therapist, you kind of know that you get it. Cause when your clients start to take ownership over you as they're your guy, they're your guy, um, you know, you, you're, you're kind of starting to make it and you're getting by in a lot. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, so, so, um, I traveled with the boys. Um, and then, uh, in 2012, I, I hosted David Weinstock for neurokinetic therapy. Uh, that was back before and neurokinetic therapy is kind of what it is today. Level one was the only thing that you could take. Um, I've taken all three levels. Um, and that really got me into, I was working with people. Um, I was working with athletes. I was still doing actual massage, you know, like, uh, clients under sheets and, you know, the whole nine, but with my high school athletes or with my youth athletes, I wasn't doing that because a, it was kind of creepy. Um, and then B, um, it was easier for me to get them on and off the table to see if the work was actually doing anything. So they would just come in in shorts and a t-shirt. And so, you know, in the beginning, I talked about backstory and how important it was. Well, I started to get, I, not only did I work with a bunch of male youth athletes, but I, I started to work with a bunch of elite level female soccer players as well. So, you know, anywhere between 12 to 18 years old. So the first time a client comes in with her daughter or with their daughter, man, they're going to ask you all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, how did you start doing this? Right. Why did you start doing this? Because they want to. They want to check you, which is really super important. I would do the same. So I started traveling with the boys, and that was really cool. Um, I took NKT in, in uh, September and uh, of, of 12, 2012, and that really allowed me to really transition from um, kind of basic, you know, uh, compression or ischemic release, you know, um, to actually starting to look at why is the body doing what it's doing. And, um, so then uh, with the, cause NKT is a, at its core is a, is an assessment protocol that uses manual muscle testing. Um, and the other interesting thing about that too is, um, you know, uh, backstory is really kind of an interesting as well. Um, for everybody, um, cause things kind of line up. I really believe this. Um, so, you know, I, my practice was 50 miles West of Detroit. North and west of Detroit. The applied kinesiology was created by Dr. George Goodhart. Goodhart was from Detroit. Mm-hmm. So early on in my career, you couldn't, you know, swing a stick around and not hit seven Kairos that did, uh, you know, AK. Yeah. So I had had some, I had had some, uh, um, some introduction to muscle testing early on, like AK muscle testing. Right on. So, you know, um, so I, I host David and then that gave me the ability to, it gave me a delivery method of to take my clients off the table more and more and more and more. Um, so, uh, eventually I phased out traditional massage altogether and pretty much all I was doing was, um, you know, uh, very specific localized injury work, um, with, uh, amateur youth, uh, elite level youth athletes and amateur, uh, uh, adult athletes. So like triathletes, 
kettlebell sport athletes, powerlifters, uh, uh, some runners, but, but the, my adults pretty much comprised, uh, um, you know, the first three. And so, um, uh, then, um, in 2016, we, uh, so my wife was a nurse, midwife, nurse practitioner. Um, and we found, she found, uh, she got an offer that she couldn't refuse. So I closed down my practice for 16 years, um, which by the way was, um, you know, pretty, a, a pretty emotional thing for me. Cause a lot of those people that I worked with, um, you know, they'd been with me for eight, 10, 12, 15 years. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, they literally watched me go from, you know, a young adult to, you know, a full grown man with a family. Right. And so, um, so those relationships that you build, you know, um, because, you know, some of those people I saw weekly, you know, I'm spending an hour a week. I don't, I didn't spend an hour a week with most of my family other than my, my wife and our son. Yeah. And so, um, those relationships that you build are, are pretty powerful relationships, um, because you get to know people. And that's the other thing about the healthcare industry that, that is really a kind of a, a uh, unfortunate, you know, because, um, that, especially here in the States, you know, because if you're in the healthcare industry, it's, you're a revenue generating provider. So volume is the key thing. You need to get as many, you know, patients in the door and do as many procedures as you possibly can to get paid. Um, and so, you know, we have as, as massage therapists, we have, um, the ability to spend, you know, 30, 45, 60, 90, you know, minutes with people and really get to build a relationship with them. Like, build an actual relationship with them where you become a trusted member of their, of their healthcare team. And you're not someone who just checks boxes and kicks them out the door after five minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I, I, and I, I, you know, and, and everybody has their own delivery method. I, I'm awful at relaxation massage because I can't shut my freaky mouth. <laughs> right. Like I'm very extroverted. So, you know, when, when I first would, when I first started working for the, 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 uh, holistic wellness center, um, one of the partners at the time, she was like, can you give me a relaxation massage? I'm like, sure. God, I tried to put that lady to sleep. You know, like, I, I think the only thing I could have done is like hit her in the head to get her, knock her out. Like I could not put that lady to sleep to save my life. And, and part of the reason why is because I'm a, I'm a very extroverted, very high in, energy individual. So where, where a lot of people learn coming out of school, you know, well, you don't talk to your clients, don't interrupt their process and whatever it is, man, that absolutely did not work for me. Cause again, I can't shut my mouth. I want to hear about like your kids. And part of that too, for me is like building a relationship as a 24 year old guy in a conservative community. It was vitally important that I played six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And I made that person feel comfortable the first time they came in the door because most of the people I'm working on at that time are old enough to be my mom right. or they were old enough to be my dad. Right. Very blue collar community. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, we, we were the, the, the affluent, you know, town in our, in our County, but you know, we were, it was still a very blue collar community. Right. And so, um, so yeah, I mean like closing down my practice was, man, I cried, you know, I mean like there's a, a faith, my last Facebook live post from, uh, from my practice in August of 2016, you know, I was trying to like close it down and thank everybody. And I still get a little bit choked up now when I talk about it, you know, but I mean, like it was, it was straight on Niagara Falls waterworks. Like I couldn't (laughs) keep it. I couldn't hold it in. And so, um, and you know, for some people that level of, of extroversion and, and connection and passion and all of those things, it doesn't work for them. Um, and so I had to find clients who that worked, who that worked for and work with, um, who were actually interested in someone being really passionate about their care and what they were, what they had going on and, and was passionate about educating them on what was going on with their body. Cause we have the, we have the choice in 60 minutes or whatever your time frame is for your appointments. We have the choice, whether we just want to come in and mail it in and do the thing or actually come in and, and make this client, make this client an active participant, you know, instead of like intervening on the clients, we can use it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a way to help that client become their best advocate. And, and I really came across that a lot when I started working with the kids because 
nobody listens to kids. And so when I first started working with with the boys, and when I first started working with the kids, was I would have clients of mine. Well, what do you? Why do kids need to have? Because all of a sudden now, this was like this luxurious thing that their parents were doing for these kids. But I'm like, I don't think you understand how much money these parents are spending on their their kids' sport. And also, by the way, there's a good chance that a lot of these kids are going to go play college something. Right. And so, like. They're going to get money back if they get into college, especially if they get into Division One. And I helped a number of kids. I can tell you for a fact, you know, like I helped a number of kids get into college. Now, they did it with their own talents, but I helped them like really push their, their level that they could play at forward because they were hurt. So, and so can, um, I, can I ask you something, you know, Sean? Because I'm, as yeah, I'm listening, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm getting a really good understanding of your backstory and I'm, I'm kind of piecing together in my head sort of how your your career has evolved. I mean, so far we've heard that, you know, you you kind of had things going against you. You lived in a place where massage therapy wasn't even necessarily accepted, but male massage therapists definitely were, were not really a thing. So you kind of had to struggle, struggle, struggle. You knew what you liked. You knew you liked working with athletes. So you you managed to thankfully get yourself into this field where you got to do what you love. And even listening to you talk about it, however many years later, you can hear how passionate you were about the work. So I'm starting to get a sense of why you wanted to help other people who, who kind of felt blocked. Um, when, when was it that you, that you started, um, wanting to, you know, coach or mentor people to do what, what you managed to do with a lot of things up against you? Here's a weird thing about me. Um, so when I, when I, whenever I've learned something, a skill, <clears throat> I've always wanted to show it to somebody else. So, you know, when I was learning something with my brother, when we were kids, like skateboarding, so I skateboarded, right? So I wanted to help. I, I, and, and, you know, talk about outcasts. Skateboarders were outcasts. This is, you know, pre-Tony Hawk, uh, pro skater in the X Games. So I just needed to find other guys to skate with because, you know, like there wasn't a bunch of them. So what I would do then is I would, I would help, you know, my friends and my brother and all the rest of those. And that's kind of one of the things that you do when you're a skateboarder. Like you see a new guy out skating, you go, oh, hey, man, you're having troubles with the alley. Well, let me see if I can help you out with that. And then you just, it, it, there's this, it, it's, it's an interesting part of the culture. And then as a martial artist, uh, my, my actual true aspiration when I was younger was to actually have a martial arts school. And, and I actually was going to like couple the two things together. And I wanted to teach. And I wanted to teach like from almost when I very first started to get into martial arts. Because I just, I just saw this really interesting, um, Avenue to, to have self explore, self exploration and, and, um, to have uh, something that you could really kind of strive for and work towards. And mentorship is, um, and is kind of one of the, the things that happens in a healthy martial arts school. Now you can be in a really bad martial arts school and not, none of that happens where everybody just thinks it's, you know, world championship every night. But I've been fortunate enough to train in schools where that's not the case. So, um, when I, and, and so I'm also a systems guy. Like I, like I create systems, right? Like in my head for efficiency. And so when I was, when I was starting and then when I was working at the holistic wellness center, I worked at, um, they, uh, Carol, the lady I apprenticed with, she actually had me start to train some of the, the newer therapists that we would hire. And that was a really super easy extension for me. And I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then around 2000 and oh, around 2009 ish, um, I had been in practice for nine years. You know, I'd had my own practice for a while. I started to run into younger therapists or newer therapists. They weren't necessarily younger than I was, but they were newer. And so I would just sit down and go out to go out and grab a cup of coffee with them and talk to them about their practice and give them, you know, my experience of things. Um, and I saw that, you know, over time, as I did that with more and more people, I saw that, uh, um, you know, the people that actually did something with it, because, you know, advice is what you can do whatever you want with it. Um, so the people that actually like started to take it on, um, wow, they were, you know, all, all of a sudden their practices really started to do something. And that was cool. Um, because I like to, sh I like to share and I like to teach. Um, so around 2000 and around 2015, I started writing a book, which is about three quarters of the way written, um, on massage therapy and kind of how to build a practice. 
Uh, and along the way there, like I, I decided the book wasn't necessarily the best avenue, um, because what happens with books is, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else is, you take a book, you read it, you set it down, and you take like one thing from it, and you might not pick the book back up again. And so I knew that wasn't a great method for, for transforming a practice. And also you have to read a lot of books. And I've read a lot of books, like I'm an avid reader. Um, so, uh, or I, I'm an avid uh, information consumer because I read a little bit less and listen to more podcasts and, and video now <laughs> um, just because c- it's easier that, you know, I can do it while I'm washing dishes. So, um, so I, 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 I decided that I was going to um, start looking at coaching. And then when we decided that we were going to move to Minnesota, um, I, I really like looked at that and went, God, man, I just spent the last 16 years building this. And, um, in a blink of an eye, I'm going to start all over again. Yeah. Uh-huh. And my, like, I, and I'm, I'm also, you know, at that time I'm 40, right? Like, so, and I want to work as long as I possibly can work. You know, I, I don't have aspirations of retiring, by the way. Retirement for me is, you know, I work less than I do now. And, um, you know, I go on vacation more, you know, I mean, like, like I, I don't have aspirations of retiring because I just, I, I, I don't dislike what I do. And so coaching became a way of also looking at like, okay, so, um, I, I really, really enjoy my wife. Um, I really, really enjoy spending time with her. Um, and so traveling with her is something that we want to do when we get older. Um, but then if I'm traveling, then it really limits the, the amount of money that I can bring in. And so coaching was just this kind of natural extension of, how to um, how to still build a uh, you know a, 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 a clientele base and then something I can still do from anywhere because you know I mean hell how crazy is it that we're talking you know from Canada to the states and you're recording it and it doesn't cost us anything you know when I was a kid it would cost us eighty million dollars to have two minutes of conversation <laughs> and so that you know the the the, the 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 industry is shrinking. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's getting easier and easier to, to build relationships with people outside of, um, you know, your, your area, your state, your town, whatever it is, um, your province. Um, and so, um, it just became this, this idea. And so in, in January of 16, I hired a business coach and we put together, um, a coaching platform. Uh, we, it took us about eight months, um, and so, uh, and then I, I started, then I started coaching. Um, so there's, there's, uh, my very long answer to your very short question. <laughs> well, okay. So the way that Mark found you, and I mean, you and him can rap about this because he's the one that introduced me to you, but the way that you guys found each other was social media. So, you know, you were just talking about sure. how cool it is that we're talking over the phone. And it's not costing us anything, but obviously social media has probably done a lot for you in your coaching. Um, do you use social media as uh, like a lot as a platform to get people into your programs or do you do programs strictly over social media? It, it's, obviously it's not all face to face, right? If you're, tr- if you and your wife are traveling, right, you're doing yeah. things remotely, right? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So I, I use, I use social media as, um, so yeah, so I use social media as a, as a platform to educate. Um, and, and, I think that it's a really different notice. I didn't sell. I didn't say sell. Mm-hmm. Right. I use it as a platform to educate. And, um, you know, if I was to climb on one of my many soapboxes right now, um, one of them being is one of the things that I see people really having a hard time with in our industry is using social media primarily as a way to sell and selling the whole entire time. So I never sell a course. Um, or I never sell anything via social media. What I look to do is I look to build relationships with people. I look to educate them on my thoughts. So Mark was saying before we were off, uh, off, you know, off before we started recording was, you know, like, oh man, I, I'm real. I don't know why, but I really like the stuff from your car. Mm-hmm. And so the stuff from my car is trying to like squeeze time in to make posts. And so uh, from my car is most of the time when I'm waiting to pick up my son in the parking lot at school. (laughs) 
So I have, you know, about a 15 to 20 minute window. I can create a, a one minute Instagram video, uh, write the copy and post it from the parking lot. Right. Um, and, and so, so I think the, the important thing is, is that, um, yeah, I use social media not to sell per se. And I'm learning how to do that a little bit more because again, like I'm old, right? Like there was not, you know, Instabook or Facegram or, you know, Snapbook <laughs> or any of those things. Okay. When I first Sean, fasting. you're not that old. Uh, we are not that far apart. So um, I'm not even going to let you call yourself old. Um, but speaking of age, then what are, what are the typical, typical demographics of the people that you're coaching? So people that I'm coaching are usually, I like people from about that, that, I don't like coaching people right out of school. Um, and, and I actually just talked to a guy out of a guy, talked a guy out of hiring me the other day. Um, because I think that it's, well, I don't think that I'm necessarily a good fit for him. Number one, number two, um, I think he needs a lot less, uh, coaching, a lot more mentoring and a hell of a lot more experience because he doesn't even know what he's doing yet. I mean, like he just doesn't know. You know, I mean, he doesn't know what type of client he likes to work with because he hasn't worked with more than two, you know. Um, and so, um, but typically, I like the, the type of coaching relationship that I like um, is someone who's been in practice um, for, you know, like three to five years plus okay. um, and has gotten to a place in their practice where they're they just don't know what to do and where to go. Right. So they're possibly successful, but they want to grow in some way and that's sort of where you can step in. Yeah. And I mean, they don't know. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've been, I mean, cause like, just so, so, you know, like let's talk about success for a second. Cause this is, this is a really funny thing for me. Um, and, and I, I really thin slice stuff a lot. Um, so, um, so when we talk about success, um, so my version of success is having a practice filled with clients who value the work that you love to work with. My idea of success is, at six o'clock on Friday or whatever your last day of the week is, you're just as fired up about the last clients that you have as you were on Tuesday right. um, or Monday, right? So building a, a lifestyle around your practice and, and, and having a comfortable lifestyle. Uh, look, I know people who are booked solid for eight weeks out who charge – Forty-five or sixty dollars or whatever dumbass cheap price that they <laughs> they charge, they scramble like crazy. They're burned out. They can't get out. They don't know what else to do. That's not a successful practice to me. I don't no, give a shit I, how much money you make. I agree with you, and I'm glad you. I'm glad you like made that distinction because yeah, success doesn't necessarily mean filling your practice to the point where people can't even get an appointment with you. It, it's not about money. Um, so I mean. I did. I did see that video that you're um, that you'd posted where you talked about this actually. Where a good coach will know if somebody needs coaching or they need mentoring. Yeah. So I was kind of hoping you could expand on that. What? How would you differentiate the two? What do you do that's coaching and what is mentoring? Perfect. So um, okay. So I have a. Um, I teach at the martial arts school that I'm at. Um, so uh, side note on me, I really know three things in my life. Right. The rest of it, I just try and force back into that thing. So it's uh, uh, massage, body work stuff, martial arts and baseball. Um, the rest of it, I'm kind of an idiot. So um, <laughs> I, If you talk to me for long enough, you'll realize that those three things are the things that everything comes back to. Um, so um, so I have this kid that comes in the door. Um, he started uh, I teach an intro class. The, the students are with me for about four to six weeks. And when I say kid, the kid's, you know, 19, 20 years old. Um, so I have this young man who's training with me and like this kid is ridiculously athletic in three years. This kid will probably surpass talent wise anything that I'm currently doing. If he, if he stays around. Um, so like when I look at this, this guy, like my hope for him is that he has all this athletic talent um, he needs someone, he needs a mentor for a period of time. And what I mean by a mentor is just somebody that kind of helps them to shoot the ropes a little bit, you know, like, like understand, like, Hey, look, you want to do X, Y, and Z, but I can't, the, the thing that, that will make or break this guy is whether or not he chooses to stay around long enough and he pays attention to actually learning the art. 
that is experience. I can't give that to him. And so the, the young man that I talked to the other day, who I talked myself out of, he does jujitsu. So I was really able to explain this to him. And I'd probably piss some other people off because um, I think I talked him out of coaching altogether for a while. Because I don't think that this kid needs a coach. I think this kid needs to go out and get his feet wet and go screw up a bunch and learn. And if I want to take his money, like the, the specific tactics that I'm going to try to explain to him, he doesn't even have any business trying to put it in the play because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing yet. He doesn't know who his client is. He doesn't know what his work is. He thinks he does, like we all did. Look, when I got out of school, I thought I was a freaking genius, and I was really a moron. I was bad, right? So, But we all think that we're really good coming out of school, and we don't know what we don't know until we get into practice for a while. So the difference between a good coach, the difference between a coach and a mentor is recognizing as a coach when someone just needs you to hold their hand for a bit, reach out to them on occasion, create a dialogue with him. I, I you know, this guy and I, uh, this this massage therapist and I, you know, I've I've reached out to him and we have an ongoing conversation. Now, if at some point in time, I feel like the conversation that we need to have is not you know, Instagram DM appropriate or Facebook message appropriate, I will tell him, look, you need to schedule a half hour's worth of my time or an hour's worth of my time. And we need to sit down and answer specifically for you the questions that you have, because we need to get into specifics. Like if he's going to ask me like, you know, um, how do I handle this type of client? And I feel like I can do it in five minutes in a, in an instant message. Then why would I not do that? Now, conversely, someone who's been in practice for a while who actually needs to figure out why their backstory matters, how it's got them to here, and then how to create a back, how to create a story that they can actually sell that separates them from everybody in their community. Because as soon as you have your backstory locked down and you understand what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it, you don't have competition any longer. The only competition that you have is with yourself. Right. If you choose to view it as, if you choose to view other people as competition, then go hire a freaking counselor, do some work on yourself and get over yourself. (laughs) Uh, I, I do agree with you. We actually, we actually teach that um, in some of our business courses about, you know, really knowing yourself, knowing your brand, um, understanding why you do what you do. Because again, as you said, I mean, there's so many massage therapists and body workers and technically a lot of us are probably the same. But if you've got um, sort of a very genuine approach and you believe in what you're doing, other people are going to follow along with you. So I think what I'm taking from what you're saying is that, This kid that you've decided doesn't need coaching, but needs mentoring, you need him to first understand himself, like what kind of therapist he wants to be, what who he wants to be working with before you can actually say, okay, this is the plan we need to put in place for you. Correct. And 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 I'm not and I'm not saying that there might be other coaches out there that might help him with that. Mm -hmm. That's just not me, you know? Um and the thing that the so I have you you might tell in the in the you know almost hour that we've been talking, I have a very strong personality and I have lots of opinions. Um, you know, I don't know how many of them are actually good, but I have them and I, and I don't have any problems telling you about my opinions, by the way. So, you know, that's a very specific type of personality for people to deal with. Right. And so you're not like, going to be right for um, everybody. Yeah. Like, and you're, you're talking to, you know, a 42 year old, very refined version of myself, right? Like, Man, I've got tax now that I didn't have when I was 24. And so, you know, when I, what I, what I really realized was that, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like, so I sublease from a, from a, a Pilates instructor, but, and she's a very, very good friend of mine. Um, I sublease from her. We've taken a lot of the same continuing ed. Um, but if you were to look at Marsha's practice and you were to look at my practice, they're vastly different. And the reasons why is, People, people come to you for your perceived skill set. They stay with you based on your personalities matching up and then the relationships that you build with them. So I absolutely couldn't have any of Marsha's clients because they couldn't take me. Like, they just couldn't. So um, a lot of my clients wouldn't do well with Marsha because I have a lot of type A athletes and Marsha's not type A. 
So, you know, they, she would probably get frustrated with them or they would get frustrated with her just because they're not operating on the same wavelength. And that by no means am I saying that I'm any better or worse than Marsha or Marsha's any better or worse than me. It's just the fact that we have two very distinctly different personalities. And so people are attracted to us based on the personality. Right. And I assume the people who come to you for coaching are it's the same idea like you're not going to appeal to everybody some people might think that Correct. your tactics are absolutely not for them but let's say there's somebody Correct. listening to us right now somebody that uh thinks what you're saying is kind of interesting somebody that wants to learn a little more um how do people like what types of programs do you offer and how do people get in touch with you and how do they how do they start working with you yeah so so right now, um, I have I do one to one coaching right now. Okay. Um, I'm working on building a new platform. Um, one of the things that one of my strengths and and sometimes one of my weaknesses is that the minute I start to feel like something isn't right with what I'm doing, I'm gonna punt. I'm I'm just gonna I, I can't sell that to somebody. And so I I liked my last my last coaching platform um, that I did. I had a webinar. It was good, but it it, it didn't do what I wanted it to do. I didn't see what I wanted to see out of it for my clients. Um, I saw shades of it. I saw shades of them coming to kind of understand their practice and understand their place in the marketplace and their value. But it, it wasn't as much impact as I wanted them to have, right? So, mm. so I put all of that responsibility on myself. Um, and then, so then what I do from there is I kind of screen people as to how much they're actually going to put in because it has to be a reciprocal relationship. But I, if, if I don't feel like what I'm selling is, is good and authentic, then, um, then I, then I'll, I just, I'll scrap it. And so that's what I've done. Um, so right now I do one-to-one coaching, um, and people can find me on Instagram. Um, they can find me on my website. You know, it's, it's a very, uh, creative website name, seankitsman.com. Um, <laughs> and then they can, they can find me, um, you know, on Facebook at, you know, I have an open Facebook page, so I'm not like closed. Um, so they can find me there at Sean Kitsman. Um, they can find me on my, uh, sustainable coaching practices page or my synergy movement therapy page. Um, and I also encourage if they're interested, go check out all the things that I've talked to you about, like before you even get a hold of me, like, do I pass the smell test for you? Am I, am I someone who do you, do you, if you feel like I'm full of shit, great, cool. Awesome. Um, but if you're interested, you know, uh, check it out, kick the tires, take me around the block, see how many miles a gallon I get, you know? Um, so that, and that's what I do in my practice. Like that's the only way I know how to sell my work. Like I'm, I'm outcomes based, but I also want relationships. Like I don't want a relationship with someone that's six months. Like I want a relationship with people where I, where I help them grow and we build um, you know, I go from coach to mentor, right? I go from actually helping them put the nuts and bolts of their practice together to suit someone that is a bit of an accountability partner and they reach out to every, you know, every quarter or once a year or, or whatever it is. So, so yeah, there's, there's how they get a hold of me and, and kind of my thoughts on that. Well, um, I want to go back to the beginning a little bit, not all the way, but you, you started out by talking about the fact that, you know, you're a male therapist and at the time that it wasn't really a big thing. And, but for you, it, it was just normal. You know, you had your dad and your eccentric uncle Jim who, uh, who got you sort of interested in this. Do you find that based on that backstory and based on the fact that you felt you had to work a little harder as a male therapist, do you find a lot of the people that, um, you attract are male therapists or do you work equally with male and female therapists? Well, so, so just numbers alone make it really hard to work with a male therapist because we're, at least here in the state, 17% of the industry. Um, so sheer numbers alone, you're, you know, you're not going to get as many, uh, male therapists that, uh, uh, contact you uh, or contact me at least. Um, but also, um, so I, you know, it's really funny for his, for his type A alpha personality as I am. Um, I've always been really comfortable around women. My best friend growing up was a girl, that's kind of what happens when you live in the middle of nowhere and the, the only kids to play with are the kids next door. And, you know, she happens <laughs> to be your age. Um, and Jen and I would have been friends anyways, cause she was a great person. And, you know, that was a great relationship for me. Um, and then, you know, getting into school, I was, uh, I was five of 60 in my massage class, you know, by the time we were done, we were three of 
60 or three of 57, um, you know, as far as, you know, male to female ratio. Um, so I've always got along really well with women. And, and one of my, one of the things that I do is I like to champion and cheerlead people. And, you know, oftentimes, uh, women haven't had a male person that champions and cheerleads for them, um, and really wants to build them up. And so, um, I like that relationship with, with my female clients. Um, not only my female clients for coaching, but my female clients in my practice. You know, I mean, like, like as a guy. So here's the thing that, that, that like, so male therapists out there, it, like if, if you haven't figured this out, like, and if you don't listen to anything else I say, this is something to really kind of hang on to. As a male therapist, we have the potential to be possibly one of the only men that women come in contact with that our touch and relationship is unconditional. It is for no other reason than my clients come in to see me and that I help them understand their body better by helping them to understand their body better. I can help them be more confident about the way that their body responds to their training. I help them to, to, to uh, oftentimes feel better about their body because they're able to do more stuff with it. And so I think the same thing is true in my coaching practice. You know, I mean, like I, you know, I, I, it's just one of the things I've, I've always been very comfortable with in, in, in dealing with, you know, or, or, or creating relationships with, with women that are not, you know, purely based on sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, I think that that's a really important thing for me in my practice as well. You know, like I can hang out and be friends with people and have those relationships. So you are a, uh, type A alpha male with a soft side. Oh my God! Don't show me a don't show me a sentimental movie. I'll cry. I cried more than my wife does. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this uh, this coaching business seems to be something a lot of therapists are getting into. So you know, maybe like yourself, they they really just want to help other people, um, which is awesome. I think that's sort of innate in healthcare professionals anyway. Um, but obviously the fact that people want to get into this, there's got to be, you know, a, another perk to it. Is, is this a, is this a good business? Are you, do you feel like a lot of people are reaching out to you and they're, they're taking advantage of these services you're offering? Yeah. I mean, it is a good business, but it's, it's really not much different of a model than what we do in our own practices, really. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you, you provide your, you provide people with value and, and in the beginning, like, you know, am I, uh. Am I, you know, making a million dollars off my coaching practice right now? No. Um, but what I'm doing is, is I'm, I'm a, I'm continuing to gather more experience because I went back to the beginning. I started all over again. I don't know what the hell I'm doing yet. Right. Like I'm throwing paint on the wall to see what it's, see if it sticks, you know, and like, like, and so just like in the beginning of a practice, um, you know, you've, you've got to test the waters and test how people are doing. And, um, and, and, so I think it is a. I think it can be a great, great business. I think can. I think that the industry itself potentially has a lot of impact. The thing that I I hope and pray is is that people. It's funny because the the reaction to business coaches because um and I'll say something here and ruffle a bunch of feathers. Massage therapists are probably the cheapest freaking people on the face of the planet. Um, you know, we know this by asking the massage therapist when the last time that they paid for a massage. Oh, I haven't paid for a massage in 85 years, right? You know, um, <laughs> that is that is true. I don't remember the last time I paid for a massage. <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, like, like, and and the other thing, like with trading too. I mean, so you know, I mean, it's hard to find people to trade with. So, um, you know, sometimes it's easy, but it's also can be difficult. And we're also a group of bunch of flaky people. So, you know, a, a, a relationship built between two people that where both people show up on time, you know, and uh, don't cancel at the last minute because they have a, a client that wants to get in is kind of hard. So a lot of times what I do is I just don't pay people because it's easier. Um, and so, but, but there's this idea of, you know, coaches are just out there to take your money because we're quote unquote salespeople. Well, look, you know, people feel the same way about us in practice until we provide enough worth and value. And so, um, you know, uh, my goal when I work with someone is, you know, you should minimum three to four times, three to four times X ROI or return on investment on whatever you pay with me. Minimum. Like, if I give you an idea and you follow the idea, that idea should carry you on because I can't take it back, right? Once I give it to you, it's not like I can take it back. If you put it into play, 
You know, if I give you a, a, a method of how to attract clients and retain them, man, you should pay for that with one client. You know, if, if you pay me $100 for a half hour or $200 for an hour, and we go about four or five sessions, and we'll say we do half-hour sessions, right? So we go for four sessions, um, that's $400, and you retain one client over a year, and you're not charging 75 cents for your work, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Like, you've got ROI on that. Exactly. Like, right. you, you're already net positive. So a coach should help you build a platform. A coach should be someone that, that gives you it, like information that you can put into play right away. Right. This shouldn't be the, you know, the old martial arts legend of, oh, sorry, you know, student, you need to do 7,000 more things until you get the punch right. No, like you should figure out that the punch should work. You should just need to work on refining the punch so it gets better. Right. Right on. So, so you know what, in, in kind yeah. of, in kind of wrapping with this whole thing, then can you give us maybe one of those punches that you would, yeah. that, that would work for any therapist, no matter where they are in their practice, they've just started out, they're in the midpoint of their practice, they're looking to grow. Give us one of those punches that can apply right across the board. Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll under-promise and over-deliver. I'll give you two. Um, the first one is um, use your social media as a way to test your ideas and test the market. Don't use it as a sales platform. Don't post that you're running the latest special, which is, you know, not really any of the different than the special that you ran last month, by the way. <laughs> the latest special for $5.52, if you get in now, don't post, um, you know, I have seven openings this week. Um, don't post, uh, you know, massage rids the body of toxins and lactic acid. Like, um, don't post about... Uh, bitching about your clients because they didn't show up because you're not actually responsible enough to actually create a system to where they actually are penalized for that thing for not showing up, right? Like, use it as a method of, of educating your clients because cause here's the deal. You're educating your current and future clients. Your clients watch stuff on social media, so you're educating them. You're telling them how your practices run, whether you know it or not. And you're educating your future clients. If a client is waiting to get in to see you until you run the next 75% off discount sale, and they only want to see, see you, well, and you have problems retaining that client because magically enough, they only come in when you run discounts because they're not there for you. They're there for the price, right? And if they want to do that, then they can go to the damn franchises. So, so go from service provider to educator to thought leader in your community, and you can use social media 100% as a way to do that. Right on. So there's the first one. The second one is, here's a ridiculously simple and easy way to increase your fees. And if you're listening to this and you haven't increased your fees within the last 12 months, you need to do so. And most people haven't increased their fees within the last 10 years right? Increase your fees by $10 an hour just this year, $5 a half hour, $10 an hour. And also like make that increase fair across the board. So $5 a half hour, $10 an hour, $15 for an hour and a half, $20 for two hours. Get, get rid of that idea that the more time that you spend with someone, the cheaper your stuff gets. I don't know when that decided it was going to be a good idea. Right. Um, <sighs> So, so here's how you do this. All new clients coming in the door today, retroactively, if you're at $60 an hour, they pay $70. Then you tell your current clientele base, look, I'm increasing my fees by $10. I'm giving you a three-month or a 30-day, I don't care what your time frame is. You decide. Don't make it a 15-year window, by the way. Make it something that's kind of you know short. So you actually take action on it and, and increase your fees and increase your fees every year, because here's what's going to happen. All those continuing ed courses that everybody, com everybody complains about that are too expensive. Well, they're too expensive because you're not charging enough. If you're going out, you're spending money on your continuing ed and you're investing in your practice, then that has to come from somewhere. Like I took anatomy in motion last, I take an anatomy in motion two times within the last year. And that's probably cost me around seven grand. Well, 
my clients have to pay for that because last time I checked, all the CEUs that I take, I don't actually benefit from. My clients get benefit out of it. So all those CEUs that you take, the vacation that you'd like to take, by the way, it's not a bad thing to take vacations, not a bad thing to take time off. They have to come from somewhere. And also, maybe you're working 30 hours a week and may barely putting food on the table. Well, that extra $10 is an extra $300. If your client is coming to see you once a month, it's $120 a year extra that that client is paying you. If that client doesn't have $120 extra pay to pay you a year, they shouldn't be paying it to you anyway. So that's how you build a sustainable practice. And somewhere along the way, the market's going to tell you that this is too high, and that's okay, but I'd rather be too high than too low. So there's my two tips. Right on, brother. I love everything that you're saying. I'm so happy that we had you on, man. Uh, we can wrap all day with you on this stuff. And I would love to have you back on again very soon talking about anything that you want to talk about. I can listen to you talk all day long. As long as you're in your car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. next time it'll be in the car. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I would, I, you know, thank you so much, you guys, um, for, for A, doing what you do. Because I think it's a really, really important part of our industry. And I think it's a really important part of the industry to go forward. Um, we need to get out of this idea that uh, we need to sit in isolation in our offices and not talk to anybody and not create communities of people. You know, the, the best thing for me with neurokinetic therapy has the work is good. I mean, I, I, I benefited a lot from it, but I have made lifelong friends out of that. See you, that community. I have made lifelong friends. I have friends all over the world, like people I legit call friends, not people that I know, you know, that I run into every once in a while, right? Like I got to Chicago to go assist in MKT courses. It's a six hour drive, right? I do it. For, I don't get paid for it. I pay for my hotel room. I do it because my friend Marissa there, she has built a community there and we're really, 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 really good friends. Um, you know, I, I'd lay in traffic for her. So the idea that, that, and, and it's, it's so nice to have friends in the industry because then you can talk to people about stuff, man, you can't talk to your cousin or brother or sister or wife or, or spouse about these things if they don't really understand some of the, the frustrations and the pitfalls in the industry. So thank you for doing what you guys do. I think it's really important. And then also thank you for, you know, allowing me to come on here and run my mouth for an hour and 20 minutes or however long it's been. <laughs> hey, that's, that's the perfect kind of guest. We don't have to talk a lot. Well, thank <laughs> you for, uh, for taking the time out of your day to sit with us. Um, and I think that we, we got all the information we need out of you today, but we'll definitely, as Mark said, be in touch and, uh, you know, hopefully you will, uh, make the trip up to Toronto one day and come hang out with us here in the office. So for everybody yeah, listening, that would, that would be fantastic. I would love that. <laughs> All right. For everybody listening, uh, we've been talking to Sean Kitzman and, uh, you know, we'll make sure to put some links on how to get in touch with him. You've been listening to two massage therapists and a microphone. Adios. <laughs>